Welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow, and this is January 1989. I'm joined here in the studio today by Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming in. Do you know what you were listening to in January 1989? Oh, that's a good question. I was uh, had been into more punk rock music for a couple of years by then, mm-hmm. and I really liked a band called Operation Ivy. Okay, yeah. They're, and, they're from uh, the Bay Area, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're from the East Bay. Uh, they were great. I think they broke up in May of that year. Okay. Yeah. That was um very musically rich and exciting time in my life, too. Why don't we talk about some bands? Okay. When we left off, R.E.M. had been ruling the charts. They had mm-hmm. been, mm-hmm. they hit number one on the modern rock charts Back in November of 1988, they were number one on the modern rock charts for all of December 1988. And then they continued to be number one for part of January 1989, eight weeks straight on top of number one, which uh, was a new record for the modern rock charts. I didn't know that they were that successful that early on. Actually, so at this point, this is their sixth album and their first major label release. Okay. And... You know, when we talk about success, we have to kind of asterisk that, I guess, because we're talking about <laughs> modern rock chart yeah. success, and it's it's definitely not the same yeah, thing. Yeah, it as meant Billboard a really different thing. Then, yeah, I think. and that's the thing. the The song we're talking about that was number one for eight weeks was Orange Crush, but that song did not get anywhere on the Hot 100. Like it was a non-charting song. So hmm. you know, it's huge, huge modern rock hit, not at all a popular hit. So eight weeks in a row. The amazing thing, though, well, I guess one amazing thing is that for the entire run, when they were eight weeks at number one, there was another song that was stuck at number two for all eight of those weeks, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, you could feel kind was of bad. It, she's <laughs> my cherry pie. <laughs> no, no. The, she's my cherry pie. That's not going to make it onto the modern rock charts. That's that's mainstream rock. Oh, oh I, I, I've got the wrong chart. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, this, so this song uh, was by an artist named Julian Cope. Oh, okay. And okay, cool. stuck at number two for eight weeks straight. And then finally, week nine, he does it. He pulls ahead, switches places, goes to number one for huh. one week. <laughs> and you know, you know, it's like you're rooting for him. He's like a little underdog. But what I think is kind of amazing to think about is that that means that if Orange Crush had not been released, this song would have been a massive hit, right? It would have been, yeah. It would have been Orange number Crush. one for for nine weeks straight, <laughs> which is especially incredible because I'd never heard the song before I started researching this podcast. I bet I know which song it is, but um, I'll I'll wait to be surprised. Okay, first let's talk about Julian Cope. Okay, do you know anything about Julian Cope? A little bit. One thing I remember about, not necessarily about him, but another musician we're probably both really familiar with, Courtney Love, mm-hmm. was a um, kind of an obsessed fan of his and really? followed him around quite a bit for a while. And he was an influence on her, but I think that she just annoyed him a lot. So um, I think that's all I got. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's something. I, I didn't know that. That's a, yeah. that's a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting figure. I don't know too much about him, but his biography describes him as a musician, a poet, cultural commentator. He was a good writer. I liked his autobiography. Long before Julian Cope's solo career, he was in a short-lived punk band with Pete Wiley and Ian McCulloch called Crucial Three. <laughs> 
Cru- I love that name, Crucial Three. You know what I, it makes me think that of? sounds like a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> Crucial Three just reminds me of the band Crucial Taunt from uh, Wayne's World. That was uh, what? Tia, Carrer- Tia Carrer's band. Now, Pete Wiley went on to uh, form a number of bands, uh, such as Wah Heat, and Ian McCulloch went on to be the leader of Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. After Crucial Three... Julian Cope went on to form a band called, is it Teardrop Explodes or The Teardrop Explodes? I think it's The Teardrop Explodes. Okay. He formed The Teardrop Explodes. Okay. Uh, and then later went solo. So at this point, 1989, he's well into his solo career. He has released his fourth solo album called My Nation Underground. And the song we're going to hear is called Charlotte Ann. Okay. <laughs> Should we listen to the song? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, here is Julian Cope's Charlotte Ann. That was great. Yeah. I, I really like that too. You, you've you heard that song before. Yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, this was a new one for me. And I, you know, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was um, super cool. I was not expecting to be as into it as I was, I guess. It's got that, uh, whatever it is, yeah. a flute, recorder. Mm-hmm. I don't know what instrument that is. but Yeah, it had a lot of layers of, of sound, different, mm-hmm. different. Um, I don't know. It's very beautiful and orchestral somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess... As much as I like it, it is a little hard for me to understand why it was able to go eight weeks in a row at number two, mm-hmm. then finally up to number number one. I wouldn't suspect that Julian Cope was any kind of like underground superstar at this point. No. Um, so I don't know. Do you, have any, do you have any thoughts? What was it about the song that allowed it to to make that chart run and stay up there for so long? That's a good question because I can't think of what else was on the chart at the time i can actually tell you a few oh, things okay um maybe that'll give I don't, you yeah i don't have the full opinion. list but i can give you it's actually a really unusual month because there's a lot of strange things that hit their peak chart position in mm-hmm. january 1989 new order peaking uh at number three with their song fine time oh that's a great song strange enough we had enya hit number six <laughs> on the modern rock charts uh with I don't know how to pronounce the song. It's, it's the Sail Away song. Everyone knows it as Sail Away, but yeah. the, the name is... Orinoco Flow. Orinoco Flow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, you know... I, I, I had to... I, I remember that name because I, I didn't. I had no idea what or, Orinoco meant, so I had to look it up, and that's how it stuck. It's, it's a, a river. Is it a river? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was a flower. I think it's a river in South know. America, but... We'll go with that. I, I'm kind of surprised it's on that chart because it's more of a new age. Right. Uh, well, it's the kind of thing you'd listen to if you went to a bed and bath store. That's one of the fun things about the modern rock charts, I think, is that they're fairly eclectic. You know, they're not always sure what, what they want to be. So like, that, well, it was that's kind of unusual. A new thing. Yeah, Maybe like, they were, you know, these were, these were the things that were kind of coming to the surface and, and there just wasn't a lot of familiarity with modern rock and mainstream culture. So these, this is what people, what was helping people to discover something that was different from 
Definitely, whatever yeah. was this is charting different from what's in on the pop the, charts. Exactly. So so we don't know where this goes. Well, well let's embrace it on college radio stations and mm-hmm. alternative stations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we had um, Mark Almond. He had a song on the charts at the time. He he is the lead singer from Soft Cell. Soft Cell. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Erasures. A little respect. Um, I can understand why they would chart there. They're, that's a that's they're, fantastic. There's so many reasons song. why they should be popular and and eternal. Yeah, and actually, uh, this one I actually wanted to talk about a little bit. The Replacements hit number eleven in January 1989 with a cover of Cruella Deville from 101 Dalmatians. I don't remember that at all. That's a movie I've never seen. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I really I wanted. Don't, I don't even know what the the where the song would be in the movie. So I wanted to actually play that song as one okay. of our picks today. Okay. But I listened to it and I just don't think it's that good. I actually like the Cruella DeVille song, but I just don't think the replacements cover, as much as I love them, I just don't think it's that good. I wanted to bring it up just because I thought it was interesting. It wasn't just out of the blue that they did this. They were asked to record the song as part of a Disney cover song album. Oh. Yeah. And oh, I bet that's good. Yeah. And... um I think Michael Stipe and Natalie Merchant do a duet on there. Okay. And Tom Waits actually does (laughs) the (laughs) hi-ho dwarves working song from Snow White, which sounds exactly like you would expect it to sound. (laughs) So that's kind of amazing. This sounds like an amazing album, but unfortunately, it's not strictly like an alternative Disney album. Um, Aaron Neville's on there and a lot of uh, other pop artists from the time. That's mostly what it is, in fact. I'm not really sure how the replacements slipped on there. It's kind of a a fluke. uh, I could understand the replacements being there, just not that song. I Mm -hmm. guess I'll have to hear it and and see. Yeah. But I guess I could say that, you know, judging by the other bands on there, um, I think Julian Cope fits in. That song, that song fits in really well w- among the other ones. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the titles and there, uh, there's a lot of danceable stuff, a lot of melancholy stuff. I think Julian Copes is more in the melancholy car- category. I think that was a lot of that music is good segue music between pop and alternative. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a good good bridge between those things. Yeah, and I think that's the stuff that's going to really reach the high the high peaks of the modern rock charts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's move on to our second song. Okay. Um, After one week on top, Julian Cope slips back down to number two, and R.E.M. comes back up to number one again, but this time with their second single from the Green album called Stand. Oh, Do you know the song Stand? Of course you do. I do. of course. This was a huge hit for R.E.M. Not only did it hit number one on the modern rock charts, but it also hit number one on the mainstream rock charts, and it also went all the way to number six on the Hot 100, giving oh. R.E.M. their second top 10 Hot 100 hit. They're on a streak. The other one being the one I love from Document. Oh, I love that song. A couple other things about this song. Some people like to dismiss this song as uh, something of a novelty tune, maybe. It's certainly not as serious sounding as a lot of other work by R.E.M. Mm-hmm. It is... I think instantly catchy. It's playful. But um, I think it's important to point out that this is something R.E.M. was totally aware of. Um, They were fans of the Monkees. 
They were fans of uh, oh. bubblegum pop songs by the Archies and things like that. Um, <laughs> and this was essentially their attempt at writing a bubblegum pop tune. You know, it's like an REM version of Sugar Sugar. That's a really good comparison. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely accurate. Yeah. And so um, if it sounds silly, it's intentionally silly. It's it's intentionally trying to be fun and goofy. These guys went out and bought a wah pedal to do the guitar solo just because mm. well, they didn't have one. It's not something they would normally use, but they said, what would be a really funny guitar sound to stick in there uh, for the solo? Yeah. Um, and then at the end... Um, there's a, a fairly popular technique that some bands use at the end of songs to make them sound extra exciting where they go through a chorus and then they shift up a couple keys and then do the chorus in, in a higher key. Okay, I know which part, which mm-hmm. part you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, R.E.M. does that twice at the end of the song. They shift up once <laughs> and then they shift up a second time. Uh, and they're actually getting really high. If you listen to the background singers, it seems like they're they're stretching to their their limits of how high <laughs> they can sing. So um, that's kind of fun. Yeah. I guess one more thing: this song was used as the theme song for the short-lived Chris Elliott sitcom "Get a Life." Oh, do you remember that show? I remember about it. Do you remember Chris Elliott? I do remember Chris Elliott. I actually I I hated him for a while. Then mm-hmm. I started to think he was funny, and then he kind of went away and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what he what happened to him but, yeah well um, I mean I I remember him most I heard from, that show was great from the incredible movie Cabin Boy <laughs> I think that came out at the time I hated him so right, I avoided well, it um, okay um, <laughs> but I think uh, maybe younger viewers might remember him as Lily's dad on How I Met Your Mother I had no idea mm-hmm. he was on that show yeah he's like her terrible father oh okay yeah so, um, yeah, if you haven't heard the song, I would be surprised, but let's go ahead and listen to it and okay. then we'll talk about it. This is Stand by R.E.M. So that was Stand by R.E.M. You know, uh, what you said, actually, what you said about the song, um, it kind of changed my mind about it a little bit. I I still don't love it, but I think looking at it in the context of what they were trying to do uh, with making a silly pop song, uh, uh, I think they pulled it off really successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really liked this song a lot when I first heard it, probably when I was 13 or so. Mm -hmm. I still like it a lot, but... You know, it feels a little bit slight to me. I, you know, I enjoy Orange Crush more. Yeah, Orange Crush was a kind of a heavy song, mm-hmm. and I, I re- thought it was supposed to be about Vietnam. Um, so it, it had a lot of heavy content, and then right. Stand Whereas, comes out. Yeah, and it's this very, is about standing it, it's, somewhere. It's right? on, you know, it's a looking in it's directions, a much lighter and um, cheerier song, and um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why i didn't like it so much yeah it's a weird contrast for a follow-up single right yeah tell you what i like about this song i like the way it opens it reminds me of like a merry-go-round carnival yeah. ride yeah uh probably intentionally what Just, is that a melodium i don't know harmonium that that instrument it's probably what's well, both of them it's, it's a <laughs> melodium and harmonium <laughs> it's a it's a special instrument they only made in 1963 yep 
they only made one. They yeah. gave it to REM. That's right. It's made of gold. That's a it's an amazing fact. Yes. <laughs> um, and only I knew that fact. <laughs> yeah. I I heard, I don't know if this is true, I heard that the lyrics were inspired by a friend of REM's who had a terrible sense of direction. And whenever she'd get to a new place, she would turn herself physically and face north to orient herself. And then she could figure out where everything else was in relation to that. Oh, that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's kind of literally what I was doing on my way to your house today. Uh-huh. Anything else? You know, I will say this about R.E.M. They were hugely influential at this time. Throughout their first four, five, six albums, they took a sound that wasn't really very popular, and they did such a great job writing songs that they kind of made it the new popular sound, in a sense. Yeah. Or one, you know, a new popular sound, at least. I think lyrically and musically, they were one of the best bands of the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. I think they were very masterful with um, instrumentation Mm -hmm. and uh, songwriting. Their first five albums, I can listen to them front to back, never want to hit the skip button. Yeah. Um, This one, I think the highs are higher for me, really. I think when it's really good, it's incredible. But there are a few songs that you know, don't really do it for me that much. And I think that trend continues on to their next album as well. I have a feeling it would be that way for me too. I don't know if I've ever listened to this album front to back, but uh, I would listen to it and see. Yeah. You know, that being said though, these guys rushed out music at a furious pace and it's really, it's really hard to maintain, um, you know, super high quality control when you're releasing albums that quickly. They had an album in um, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88. um, And, they also, in that time, released an EP and B-Sides collection, and then, of course, all of their side projects as well. So, yeah, for that yeah, first... Yeah, they, they were nonstop. There's just not... I, I can't remember much time in my life where they weren't around. Yeah. I, I just can't... Yeah, they, they just always seem to be there in the background somewhere. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Okay. So, the third song we're going to listen to okay. is by a band called The Water Boys. Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting them. Yeah. Do you know this band? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. There was a guy that used to be in the Water Boys who uh, formed his own band called World Party. And, oh, um, interesting. And I, we're and we're actually going to hear World Party um, at some point later this season or next. Okay. Um, and I did not know there was a connection, but I guess we'll, yeah. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, but I remember liking the Water Boys, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, they weren't a band that I, I didn't own any of their albums i uh i think i would listen to them at work because somebody else would, would bring them along so but i like them they yeah, were pretty good this is a band that i i probably heard a song or two but mostly they were they were off my radar i always think of them as kind of a folk celtic type band yeah but prior to this album uh, the album's called fisherman's blues this is their fourth album prior to that they were not really the same type of band they were more of like a grandiose big rock sound and they took a very, very big turn here um, in, in their sound for this fourth album. And then they kind of kept that sound for the remainder of their career. This is this is the sound that they're known for. Okay. I don't, I've never heard of their older stuff. I, I actually haven't either. So um, this was this was their best-selling album. It actually went to number 76 on the Billboard uh, album charts, which is, you know, reasonable. That's respectable. Yeah. I think placing if you're uh, if you're an alternative rock band at that time, I think placing anywhere yeah, well exactly there is is that's that's pretty good recognition. I think so too, and this album is is apparently so well regarded that 
A few years back, it warranted a reissue that they released as a seven CD, 121 song <laughs> set. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, you know, of, of, <laughs> I don't know. They had that many songs. Well, it's it's all from the from the same recording session. It's it's all oh. it's all Fisherman's Blues era demos and um, songs that didn't make the album and outtakes and all that kind of stuff. So that's a if you're into this, there's a treasure trove of material out there for yeah, you to listen that, to. There must have been some really big big fans of ev- everything from that time to have mm-hmm. made that. Uh, concentration of of uh, music from yeah that period and beyond that i'm surprised that i was not familiar with the song because apparently uh everybody loves it it's it's featured in numerous soundtracks or it's been covered over 50 times so it's wow yeah it's appeared in goodwill hunting it was in the movie waking ned divine i could imagine it being in scenes from those movies yeah Yeah. totally well, I don't know. Let's just listen to the song and, and see what we think. Okay. Okay. That so this is, this is the song Fisherman's Blues from the album Fisherman's Blues All right. by the Water Boys. Okay, that was Fisherman's Blues. That was great. I thought yeah. that was great. That's that's yeah. a beautiful song. Um, there was not not uh, much music that's like it since then. Mm-hmm. Um, not enough people are making music that is that full of emotion. And I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, there's a very rare quality in that guy's voice and, and um, musical style. Yeah, and I want to say this too. If, if that sounds like a musical style that you know, maybe isn't your favorite, but it's something that, you know, you may be sort of interested in. I say give it a shot because you're only hearing a 30 second clip. And I think this is the kind of song where maybe on one listen, uh, you know, it might pass you by and you don't really, you don't really grab all the nuance. But I think if you listen to it a couple yeah. more times, I think it's really going to grab you. I think it's That's true. I think it's going to sink in and and you're really going to find something that you like. I, I try to give a lot of different kinds of music a chance because uh, you never know when there's just going to be that moment where it's the exact right song to be in. And mm-hmm. you, you just, you kind of live in the song as you're living in the moment and it, it just aligns perfectly with whatever's going on around you. Sure. The lyrics were at least partly inspired by a W.H. Auden. I think it's Auden, but I'm okay. not sure. W.H. Auden. I've only seen Auden, it in print. W.H. Auden poem called The Night Mail, which, the, you know, the lead singer remembered. I.L.? <laughs> yes that's right just checking yeah it's k-n-i-g-h-t actually so <laughs> are you are you messing with <laughs> no it's not what it is um he said it was about how the mail train would roll through the night and uh, the poem itself replicated the feeling the rhythm the speed of the train so mm. i don't know if it, lyrically it's you know exactly what the poem is about but he was trying to capture the feeling of that poem which okay. I think is nice. You know, a mail train at night rolling through the... What do trains roll through? Countryside. Countryside. That's what I was looking Sometimes for. Sometimes they roll through the city, but... Yeah. 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 I think it does too. You know what? And actually, he, he does, what, three or four times he does that. Woo! Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, like a yeah. train whistle. 
going by. Uh-huh. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's like that kind of chugging rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. It's really cool. I didn't know it was based on a poem. Yeah. That makes it even better. It does. Although, I mean, honestly, I'm not that into poems, but... I like some of them. Poems, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and move on to our fourth and final song. All right. Um, this is by a band called The Go-Betweens. Okay. I am familiar with them. I'm excited to hear them because I, I can't remember if I've okay. heard them before. You know, I would be surprised if you were really familiar with them because this is a band that, I don't want to overstate this, but they never sold anything. Mm. They, they... I think if, I, if I'm right about this, I think they were one of those bands that didn't do very well commercially, mm-hmm. but that they had, they had a lot of influence on bands that came soon after them. It's possible. I know they had a lot of um, critical success they just did not sell. They did not chart. Oh, gosh. They had maybe a song that scraped the lower reaches mm-hmm. of the charts called The Streets of Your Town. That's the one I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. But And it was great. Yeah. And that's on the same album as this, but that's not the song we're going to listen to. Okay. So the Go-Betweens are an Australian band. Okay. Uh, although they don't really sound Australian. No. I thought maybe they were going to be from Manchester or Birmingham in England, like mm-hmm. somewhere in England. Well, they, they did move to England at some point to do recording. I'm not sure how long they stayed there. Okay, that's probably but, what I'm thinking of. They don't sound totally Australian to me. Um, so the song we're going to hear is off of their sixth album from 1988 called 16 Lovers Lane. And this is often regarded as, as their best album that they ever did. And it is. It is very good. I actually picked it up recently. It's 10 love songs. They're very well written. They're very lovely songs. I think they probably expected it was going to sell a little better than it did because they knew it was a high quality record and then it didn't sell. And then the band, at least in part because it didn't sell, broke up shortly thereafter. Okay. So, well, they they gave it a good run. That's six albums. That's true. It's a, it's a very good output for a band that's not maybe succeeding commercially the way they would have hoped. Mm -hmm. Although they did some years later, I don't know, a decade and a half, they did get back together and put out some more albums. Oh, good. So, you know, they, if you're interested in this band, there's a lot of material available. They've put out at this point, I don't know, nine albums or so, something like that. I am interested. Yeah. This album, it's been ranked as the number 12 Australian album of all time. Wow. In the 100 best Australian albums book. It was featured in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Cool. And interestingly enough, so was R.E.M.'s Green. And so was <laughs> oh, that's, uh, okay. the Water Boys <laughs> I was gonna uh, say, Fisherman's not Blues. Not just the 1001 Australian albums. No, no. So actually, um, <laughs> three of the songs we heard tonight, um, those albums are in the 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, even if I was in the go-betweens and if I, like you said, uh, things didn't quite work out in some ways, I would feel like, like that was a pretty awesome accomplishment. Sure. And furthermore, they've had a bridge in Australia named after them. The go-between bridge. Huh. huh. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not everybody that gets there a... Is there an NXS bridge? Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I, I actually love NXS, so um, I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm just saying. Yeah. There could be an inaccess bridge. I don't know. That could be being built as we speak. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, th- this may be overstating the case, but um, a writer for allmusic.com 
refer to this album as the best album <laughs> from Australia's greatest pop group ever mm. and went so far as nice. to favorably compare this to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I think I, I love Rumors. I think Rumors I, is just a fantastic like album. So I say that's that's a tough comparison. But yeah. I mean, that being I, said, it, that, I, I don't think um, from what I have heard of the go-betweens, I wouldn't say they're similar types of bands. I, I wouldn't compare them exactly, but I, I think it's a really favorable comparison. Yeah, sure. So why not? So the song we're about to hear is the only go-between song that ever charted on the modern rock charts. Okay. And they never charted on the US Hot 100. Oh, okay. So, you know, as far as Americans hearing it, this is maybe it. All right, I'll try to enjoy it for, with everything I've got. Yeah, and this is this is called "Was There Anything I Could Do?" Oh, we're well, gonna. I like your response to that. It's kind of, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just getting gotta. We gotta get some tissues down here. Listen, baby, we're through. I don't know what happened next. All I know is she moved. Packed up her bags and her curtains. Left it. The thing I like about a lot of 80s singers is that they sounded really kind of angry, sad, and compelling all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what kept it from being, the their music from being really poppy. Yeah, it's like almost poppy, but not quite poppy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Yeah, it's it's got a little a bit of anger and uh, frustration in it. Mm-hmm. But I like it. Yeah, I like it too. That was really good. And I would say probably seven or eight of the songs on that album, I feel like could have been a single just as well as this might have been a single. I feel like they're B, B plus songs. And I, maybe there's no like super standout A plus song for me on there, but the whole album is just, those songs are good. Those are really good songs. Do they all sound kind of like this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to give this one a listen. Yeah. Yeah. So you can borrow my German import copy if you want. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Done. I guess I, I I really wish this band would have managed to put out one more album before they disbanded the first time because yeah you know even though this wasn't the success they hoped for they did they did have some minor success you know a couple songs yeah. got in a couple charts and um, oftentimes that's that's enough to get people interested for a follow up album you know yeah I don't I can't say what. Uh what happened there um based on the fact that they put out those six albums uh, before they disbanded the first time i think something must have been going really well for them like maybe maybe they had a really good following yeah, maybe maybe they just liked each other yeah they liked each other they liked playing live maybe that was going really well maybe they they liked touring mm-hmm. um i i think that's a really good sign that they just kept at it for so long and they had a lot of good good albums and uh it, success can be measured in so many ways. So I, I think that that's a sign that something was going really right on their terms, at mm-hmm. least. And um, it, you know, maybe they just reached a point in their lives where like, you know, we want to do other things. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that the road that musicians and uh, creative people can travel, where they can um, be creative on their own terms for a while. And if they get that kind of success, 
a lot of times it changes how they would want to sound or mm-hmm. the the amount of output that they have and it's so hard to say how things would have turned out mm-hmm. but that's true. Um, they did get their bridge though that that's yeah, true that. i don't have a bridge named after me no. and i've uh, I've done so many awesome things. <laughs> yeah, someday. Yeah, someday. The Emily Bridge over yeah. the, the Washougal <laughs> River. I like how it's just the Emily Bridge. It's a great name for a bridge. It'll be made of two sticks of driftwood and <laughs> just uh, don't lose your balance going across. Yeah. Okay, so that was that was January 1989. Uh did we learn anything? Did we see any trends? Was there anything um, that stood out to you? I think I learned a lot. I think that this kind of music that was uh, making its way into the charts was making it possible for people to try and expand their music tastes a little bit higher. So they weren't just listening to whatever they heard on the radio. Mm-hmm. I think they would. I think this kind of music begged people to try and learn more about what else was out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's what it did for me. I think that um, it made me want to read more and study more about band members and where they'd been before they emerged into the the music that was being played on the radio. Sure. They, they followed a path that led them to where they were when you first heard them. And um uh, that was something that was worth listening to as well. And that's what that music brings back for me. It's just that it was um, it was kind of a crossroads for uh, learning and expanding my tastes, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. One thing I just thought of, and this, you know, we could have picked other songs, so this is really maybe sort of a coincidence, but I think three of the bands we listened to, these songs are from their sixth album, and the fourth artist, I don't even know how many albums he had released at that point uh, between, you know, Julian Cope's solo stuff and Teardrop Explodes, but quite a few, I would assume. Yeah, so, yeah he's been around for a while, so, I think. you know, we think of alternative music or modern rock as kind of a youth movement, in a sense, like where the the new, young, punk-inspired type yeah. of music is is coming up from the bottom and slowly trying to overtake whatever the mainstream bland rock and roll is that's that's been going on but these are not necessarily new young fresh faces i mean six albums that's it's that's quite a it's yeah. a career it's two that's careers a real, that's for a some really good bands point. yeah i think that's a that's an excellent point to make and i i wasn't even thinking of that all right well i guess that wraps up our show um cool. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. And to all you listeners out there, we hope you keep listening every two weeks. Thanks again. This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow. Bye, everybody. Bye.